Welcome to today's Culinary Citizen. This is Kelsey. And Rebecca. And today we're talking with Yigal Schleifer. He is the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Culinary Backstreets, which is a website platform for blog posts about different places to eat in different cities around the world. They also do culinary tours and more. They've done it all. I was really interested to hear how they began just from a blog and how they've grown it into a multinational tour company. I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, this one was fun for me because I have a very personal relationship with Istanbul Eats, which was the blog that Culinary Backstreets grew out of. I used it a ton. My friends have used it for traveling to Istanbul way back in the day. And then when I was living there as well, and a lot of my favorite restaurants and places to go in Istanbul came from Istanbul Eats and Culinary Backstreets. So this was kind of fun to, to get the backstory of, of how this all came together. So we hope you enjoy the episode. Let's go ahead and get started. Today we have Yigal Schleifer. Thanks for joining us today, Yigal. Thanks for having me. You are the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Culinary Backstreets. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got from living in Turkey as a journalist to co-founder of, of Culinary Backstreets? Yes, absolutely. So um, uh, just a quick intro, Culinary Backstreets is the global guide to local eats, as we call ourselves. And we cover the local and neighborhood food scene in about 14 different cities around the world. And we do that both through editorial and also through on-the-ground activities, namely culinary walks. And the idea is to bring people kind of really up close and um, personal with food makers, neighborhood culinary institutions, be they restaurants or bakeries or cafes or groceries, and to really also get them off the beaten path and into parts of a city that that visitors don't normally get to. Um, and this all started, it, or it traces itself back to 2009, when um, another American, Ansel Mullins and I, we were both living in Istanbul, and we started a blog called Istanbul Eats. And originally the blog was just our way of sort of, it was kind of like a, a love letter to Istanbul and us writing about the places that we really like to eat in and trying to tell their stories, really small hole-in-the-wall spots, family-run places, very traditional spots. And about a year after starting the blog, we ended up publishing a guidebook with a local Turkish publisher in English. So kind of collecting all the material from the blog. And then we eventually also started doing food walks, working with a local guide, but really developing a kind of narrative structure for these for, for walks to take you through particular neighborhoods and tell the story of the city through food. And so that was 2009. And then in 2012, we decided to expand, take that model and, and, and apply it to a bunch of other cities to really expand beyond Istanbul. So we, we renamed it Culinary Backstreets and started originally with working in Barcelona and Athens, Mexico City, Rio, Shanghai. And over the years, we've been slowly adding more cities as we go. So like I said, we're now in about 14 different cities, Europe, Central America or South Central America, Asia, and we're also working in Queens, New York. So we, um, yeah, we've got sort of a, a nice network now. So what were you looking for in subjects, um, you know, like restaurants or chefs or owners for your initial blog posts for Istanbul Eats? 
Right. So I, you know, the, the way that blog was born was that we had kind of looked at, at some of the, re, at the coverage that we were seeing in, in, in let's say travel sections uh, of Istanbul. And we sort of felt like a lot of the places that were being written about, especially in terms of where to eat in Istanbul, were just kind of, you know, either the same old places that weren't really particularly anything special, you know, maybe even sort of tourist traps. We just sort of felt like we weren't really seeing anyone get really into the into the back streets, as it were, you know, and, and really write about these amazing little spots, very neighborhood-oriented spots that made the city such a special place and that each one of them had such a special story of their own. So the idea was really to kind of to chronicle the these unsung heroes, as we like to think of them, you know, the the guy making the kofta, the meatballs, uh, the kebab maker, you know, down, you know, working in the hardware district, the man in the, in the market area who sells kaimak, which is kind of clotted cream made from, from water buffalo milk, you know, which is a very traditional breakfast dish. So just, you know, a, a lot of them are sort of one dish you know, specialists. Others were these, you know, many generation, same family run places. Others were, you know, working in some sort of interesting location. The the thing that sort of tied a lot of them together, or let's say, I think, you know, basically all of them together was that they, they were real neighborhood spots in the sense that they were important pillars of the community, of, the, of neighborhood life. They were kind of almost like community centers in a certain way. They were linchpins of, of neighborhood life and of keeping the neighborhood's character alive and strong. So we, we, we sort of thought it's, it's really important to chronicle these, especially because Istanbul, like many other cities, um, was going through incredible you know, development, economic change, or, you know, urban sort of transformation. So a lot of these places were either in danger of, of disappearing or being driven out because of rising rents, other changes, you know, development especially. So we kind of thought it's it's really worth documenting and, and, and getting these people's story and maybe also helping them find a new audience, be it a local audience that didn't know about them or, or visitors, tourists. So we really kind of really wanted to help both maintain, you know, uh, record your story, but also see if we can maybe find a new audience for them. Did you feel like you were able to help? Like, are there any examples of, of owners or restaurants you were able to help? So, yeah, there's great stories uh, of this. And the, the, the one story I really like to tell is we, when we did our book, we did a, a launch party and it was kind of a street party in, in, in one of the side streets near the Galata Tower in Istanbul and got a bunch of street vendors to come and, and sort of cater the party uh, with their stuff, with their carts out in the street. We had some music and it was a really, it was a fun party. And, and at the beginning of the party, there was this kind of slightly older gentleman kind of milling about or sort of standing there on the side. And finally he came up to me and he said, do you know who I am? And I said, well, no, I don't. He said, well, my name is Levon Bay, uh, Mr. Levon, and I run a restaurant called Mutfak Dili. And Mutfak Dili is, is a little sort of worker's a tradesman's canteen, as I guess is the trend. It's a, a, a snaf lokanta is the name in Turkish, which is kind of a, a lunch spot that that usually caters to small businessmen and, and tradesmen who work in a particular area. And this is a restaurant that we wrote about. It was in a hardware district. He's a Armenian. He and his wife are Armenian. And they used to run a ball bearing store. And at a certain point, she said to him, you know, I, I think I'd be much better running a restaurant than selling ball bearings. And they converted their ball bearing shop into a restaurant serving all the 
hardware store owners around them. And it's just a lovely little spot with delicious food. And we had written about them. And after they had been on the blog, it's sort of, you know, he, he, well, he, so he said, I wanted to come to the party just to thank you because I'm now getting Japanese tourists and Russian tourists and American tourists. And <laughs> he was like, thank you so much. So it was very heartening for us. We, we now include him also uh, as, a, as a first stop on one of the tours that we do, one of the walks that we do. And he's also found himself featured on, on Anthony Bourdain's show. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, I think it's been an interesting journey for them, just kind of getting this kind of attention. And I think it's also been very gratifying, of course. And I think it's also really helped them in the sense that they're working in a traditional district, you know, commercial district, but that you know, a lot of the hardware shops are either closing or being repurposed into other things. So the the traditional model that they that their business was based on is changing. We feel like we were able to help them transition into something kind of interesting and new and hopefully sustainable. That's amazing. Are they still open? Do you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, we, we bring people there hope, almost every day <laughs> for breakfast. <laughs> That's the best. I love it. Yeah. yeah. That brings me to my next question, which is about your values. You say on your website, which mm. is culinarybackstreets.com. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> that you, you value honest tourism and honest journalism. And I'm just yep. wondering, what does that mean to you? So what does that mean? I mean, it means, for example, on the journalism side, you know, we're not and the tourism side as well. I mean, we, we're not interested in kickbacks, let's say, right? We're not interested in, you know, we're not taking people to a place where we know we're going to get some kind of kickback. We really want to support these places. Uh, we want, we really want to bring a new audience to them. We really want to help them survive and, and then thrive. And, you know, likewise with the journalism, we're really, you know, we're not interested in, in trends and we're not interested in what's buzzy and we're not interested in celebrity chefs. We're really interested in neighborhood life or interested in the people who sustain that through their through their their food spots and their cooking or their their other you know sort of culinary related activities and so you know we're really interested in 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 the people doing the honest work and it's and it's not a knock against celebrity chefs and it's not a knock against you know sort of high-end places it's just what we're interested in are you know the spots that like i said really maintain neighborhood life. Um, and, and, you know, we kind of like to think of healthy neighborhoods and what makes a healthy neighborhood and how, how important it is for urban, healthy urban life to have healthy neighborhoods. You know, neighborhoods are the sort of the, the, the kind of, you know, there's kind of this ecosystem in the city and having, having these vibrant, strong neighborhoods is, is really critical. And then how do you have these strong, healthy neighborhoods, you know, having these, these, food spots that have been around for a long time that serve such an important purpose, having them survive and thrive, as I said, I think is also really important. So we're kind of looking at the whole the whole picture of of, of city life and, and how do these little food spots, uh, particularly these traditional or, or long-time neighborhood spots, how do they fit into that? And then how can we somehow support them, be it through our editorial activity or through our on-the-ground tourism activities? So that said, you mentioned that you've expanded your culinary walks into 14 different cities around the world. So yeah, about you, 14, yeah. How did you create these relationships while maintaining those values and staying true to what you believe in? Um, I mean, you know, we the way we, we like to do it is we um, often start when when working in, in, in a particular place. We often like to start on the editorial side, meaning really start chronicling what's going on and and writing about places and we try to find someone to work with who 
you know, is not necessarily a food journalist per se, or even a, even a journalist per se, uh, but someone who's just a real lover of, of their city, a real kind of enthusiastic and intrepid explorer of their city, and someone who can really start building relationships um, and kind of getting a sense of what's what's the bigger story that's happening in a city you know what's what's the kind of you know what's the the backstory of the city that that the food can can help tell then you know so it could be for example we work in queens and we're really interested in the immigrant experience there because it's such an immigrant rich part of the city of new york city so you know what's what how, how can the food help tell that story or you know barcelona for example you know, how does how does food help tell the story of the Catalan independence issue? You know, in Istanbul, how does food help tell the story of of the of the massive economic change taking place there? So so things like that. So, you know, the idea is to really find a local person to work with who can really help figure out what that what that big story is and then how how to tell that story through the through the food spots and then start making the relationships. And then, you know, when we have that narrative in mind, you know, then you can develop, then you sort of think, well, what, what's a neighborhood where this narrative is really playing out? You know, in Istanbul, it could be in, in Bayolu or in, 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 you know, there's a neighborhood, Fati, where a lot of Syrian refugees have come in. And there's a really interesting story being told there through the food again. In Barcelona, the Gracia neighborhood has this very strong sense of Catalan identity, you know. So again, we can, we can visit that neighborhood to get a very strong sense of, of what's taking place on the, on the political front. So, you know, then you sort of, once you have the narrative in mind, you can start figuring out, okay, how do we tell that story through the food and, and the places that, that, you know, sort of help tell that story. So for us, it's, it's kind of easy to stay true to those values because the, the people we work with embody them. And then when I say the people we work with, I mean, no, not just the, the people who are working with us as Coney Backstreet's people, but the, the people we work with in terms of the restaurants and the little cafes and the bodegas and the groceries. So, you know, they really embody those values because they themselves are trying to maintain the life of their neighborhood and maintain their own business in an, in an honest way. So how do you find those narratives that intrigue you? Are you listening to radio stations? Are you looking for food history of those particular cities? Well, I think, you know, like, I mean, we really look to the local folks that we work with to really help us give us their take. So for us, it really often, you know, it always starts with finding that right person on the ground and, you know, having them do what reporters do, which is hit the pavement and talk to people and and think about you know, what they're seeing and interpret it. It's really something that we, we look to our local, our local people to, to come back to us and say, look, here's, here's what's happening. We do at the beginning of the year, we do something that we call the state of the stomach for every city that we work in, which is a, a reported piece, but also kind of a thought piece of, okay, here's what's happening in this city. And here's how the culinary scene is, is reflecting that or, or, you know, how it, how it represents that. So, and we really ask, you know, our local correspondents or our bureau chiefs in each city to really think about it and then, you know, put together this state of the stomach. So, you know, in, in the last year, I'll just give you some examples in Lisbon, you know, the, the big issue has been 
over-touristification, right? Just hordes of tourists descending on, on the city, you know, having kind of rediscovering it after going through this fairly extended slumber and real estate prices going up and Airbnbs taking over. And, and we looked at it through the lens of these neighborhood associations, which are a very uh, distinct feature of Lisbon, which is each neighborhood has these associations that have been around since forever. And they put on parades and have their own buildings and even their own little restaurants. Um, and many of them now are kind of struggling to survive in the face of, of these economic changes brought on by the by the hordes of tourists have come in. So that's Lisbon. In Athens, for example, the issue has been, you know, the very long and slow recovery, um, if you can even call it that, from the economic crisis there and how people have responded to that and, you know, how how interesting new little spots, um, have little restaurants and things like that have opened up in neighborhoods that were previously uh, neglected as people, you know, are kind of trying to confront the economic crisis and, and come up with creative solutions. So, you know, so these are really, I mean, they're really fun for us to do because they really force us to think about what we're doing. And, and it really allows us to, again, use use the culinary lens to look at at, at these bigger issues. So, that's, I mean, that's kind of how we're engaged really in thinking about this all the time. And, you know, which is not to say that we're, we're opposed to just enjoying food and, you know, having a good lunch, which is what we really try to do a lot of the time. But we also do like to have this kind of, kind of thoughtful approach to, to the subject. When any of the guests go on your tour in any of the countries, what do you hope they walk away with? I mean, for us, connection, I think, is really the number one, which is this is not just about stuffing your face, not about sort of extreme eating. You know, there obviously is going to be a lot of food because it's, it's you know, we're, we're kind of taking you to a bunch of different spots and really want you to experience a lot of different different places. But, but really what we want you is to get the stories of the people, to get the stories of the neighborhoods, to connect with them and to connect with their history and their story and, and, and to really get a strong sense of place through that connection. So, you know, obviously, again, we want to have good food and we want people to, to have memorable food. But I think the, the experience and the memory of the food is, is really heightened by the sense of connection and the sense of tapping into local culture and tapping into local history and and doing that through through the food but even more so through the people making it we kind of really always try to focus on the people and making it a human experience and and again also getting you know getting a sense of that bigger story so so it's not just about eating at a dozen different places but also following that narrative and by the end having a, a deeper sense of you know, some kind of bigger story that's taking place in that neighborhood. And then, you know, secondary is also to kind of to get a sense of a part of town, a part of a city that that you wouldn't really be able to find on your own just because it's not your typical tourist destination. And even for locals, I mean, for example, in um, in New York and Queens, you know, we're really we're really showing, you know, for the for, for locals, for New York, you know, when I say locals, I mean, New Yorkers who join who joined the walk where we're taking them to a part of town that for a lot of New Yorkers is not an area that they're very familiar with. I think you kind of answered my next question a little bit because you're very focused on, on the people and, and the people involved, the people making mm. the food, the owners. But my question is how do you see cuisine as a bridge between cultures? And, and that's kind of an extension, I think of a person and a person's hand. Yeah. You know, it's, a, I mean, obviously I think, you know, food is very accessible 
non-threatening, I mean, for the most part, non-threatening uh, vehicle to bring people together. And I think, you know, that's that's something that, that you know, many people these days are, are, are trying to promote, you know, food as, as, as a kind of bridge and, and, and as a way of, of sharing, uh, sharing experience and, you know, the kind of the, the sort of almost cliched breaking bread together, you know, expression. Um, so I think, but, you know, but I think it is very true. I mean, I think there is, you know, there's something about food and cuisine that, you know, really forces us to, to kind of let our guard down a bit. I think touches interesting spots in terms of everyone, everyone's memory and and experience and and kind of it it, it creates a, a kind of a kind of shared language and almost an instantaneous shared language that people can can talk about. I feel like sometimes we we almost take it too far. We it can be taken too far in the sense that you know I've also having lived in Turkey and in that region, you know, having reported on the region, you can also see how food becomes a source of conflict. So I don't want to overplay it, but I think you know it, it, it's certainly a very quick and easy way for people to to enter each other's culture. So I'm a little bit more of the uh, practical of us too. Rebecca is very generic and thinks. She's amazing. So I just want to ask a few questions about the operational side. At the beginning of our conversation, you had mentioned that you went from this blog to then doing a book and then expanding to walking towards now multiple cities. Yeah. What were some of the challenges as you built your team that mm. you experienced and what were the skills you had to build to overcome those challenges? Right. I mean, we've been incredibly lucky at first, I should say, to... Um, to have been able to work with really amazing people and, you know, maybe perhaps it's partially lucked, but I, I think there's, you know, it's also kind of a self-selecting thing in the sense that the people who want to work with us are, are connecting with something, you know, they, I think they connect with a certain approach that we have, or they, you know, the subject, obviously. So, you know, they already come, I think, with with shared interests and a, a shared enthusiasm and a, a shared sense of commitment to the to those values that we talked about earlier what we're trying to do and and this is the big challenge is to create not the same experience but you know kind of a similar experience across more than a dozen cities now right and and a lot we get a lot of repeat customers so people who have been on our walks in Istanbul and then are going on a trip to Barcelona and really want to have that that same kind of experience, that immersive, very local experience. So uh, a big challenge is to how you know how to kind of replicate and not you know not not the formula, but but replicate a certain feeling and and a certain level of mm-hmm. a certain kind of depth and a certain certain kind of interaction. And so that's that's something we you know we really always work on and and you know need to focus on and make sure is happening. You could kind of I guess the shorthand would be quality control. It's 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 really important for us. You know the other thing is that you know we're we're working in a in a kind of uh, unpredictable world, right? Where we don't control you know so things happen, you know, there's independence movement in Catalonia and there's days, you know, there were days, you know, in, in recent, in recent years where, where things were, were a little dodgy and weather and uh, protests and, you know, these things where you kind of don't expect them, of course. So those are interesting challenges. I think also, you know, the biggest, in a way, the biggest challenge for us is that the kind of places that we love and want to take people to are sort of like an endangered species, 
in, in every city that we work in, perhaps, you know, the most extreme example is Shanghai. It's not just little places that are closing down, but it's entire neighborhoods that are being, you know, literally raised to the ground. In, in many of the cities that we work in, the challenge is, oh, well, that little bakery closed or that little cafe closed or that little kebab shop closed. But in Shanghai, the, the culinary back streets are disappearing, like literally disappearing. And we actually, for our the state of the stomach piece that we did for Shanghai, what we really talked about was, you know, what happens when the neighborhoods themselves disappear, you know, and 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 then what's happening in Shanghai is that little restaurants that used to be around in one particular place are now moving to malls, to food courts, um, or to you know these some of these new neighborhoods, you know, just trying to survive there and and reinventing themselves in the food courts sometimes. So it's fascinating, and uh, but that's that's something that you know. For us is is probably the biggest challenge, I'd say, is just how do we kind of, you know, we want to support these places. And sometimes we're able, you know, like with that example that I gave at the beginning, or sometimes we're sometimes able to kind of really help a place get a new audience and 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 hang on a little bit longer. But you know, oftentimes places are just disappearing and it's it's quite tragic. That's just part of the reality. Right. Especially when it comes to changing societies. I I used to live in Russia and Mm. oftentimes you'll see the smaller villages disappearing as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think also what's interesting is, you know, is uh, with economic change, I mean, you know, for example, we'll take people on, you know, on one of our walks in Istanbul, we take people to visit uh, a tea shop, right, which has been run by this one guy for, you know, who knows how long, but his son doesn't necessarily want to be a, a tea Vendor, mm-hmm. right? He wants to be an accountant, or he wants to be a businessman, or and that's absolutely as it should be. I mean, that's opportunity for him. But you know, but so it's interesting. But these, you know, but that's you know, previously he probably didn't have those opportunities available to him. But now there's kind of a growing middle class, and that's a positive thing. It, on the other hand, it also it, there is it does mean a certain kind of end end of certain something else. Right. In some ways, I think that's an opportunity for fans of a certain, you know, like whether it's tea or a noodle shop or a way that someone makes something like bread to reinstate a apprentice system. Not necessarily it's going from father to son like it used to be, but maybe someone who's yeah. very passionate about it. Absolutely. Um, no, absolutely. And which I think I- would... I think it would be interesting just because it would further globalize the traditions. It's not only saving traditional food ways, but it's also you're not necessarily coming from that village. Right. No, absolutely. One thing one thing that you're seeing in, in Turkey that's kind of interesting is because of the influx of Syrian refugees is that some of the Syrian refugees are sort of filling in, you know, are filling that role of the apprentice, right, where they're coming with certain traditions and skills, and looking for work. So they're able to step in or even develop new businesses that follow fairly traditional old models. So that's that's interesting to watch. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm just curious, what are some of your revenue streams to consistently keep this platform going and expanding? Right. Well, I mean, for us, you know, the 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 tours that we do are are the most important. We now have guidebooks that we have for Istanbul. Along with Istanbul, we also have Athens and Barcelona. We have an app that you know is sold, and you can get different material for different cities uh, beyond the ones that we have books for. So we're trying to to kind of have diverse different streams. But for us, the on the ground activities that we do are really the most important for us. 
Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm fumbling around over here trying to find my source and I can't find it. But okay. <laughs> I think it was a newsletter. I, I get your newsletters. And mm. um, I, I think you recently started doing trips, not necessarily culinary walks, but trips in Georgia. So we have partnered with Atlas Obscura, if you're familiar with Atlas Obscura. Yeah. Yeah. So so we've partnered with them to do trips with a with a you know with a very strong culinary focus so so but these are as opposed to the single day trips that we do in the different cities that we work in these are multi-day trips for slightly larger groups the the tours that we do are small group walks let's say from two to seven or eight people um these are for groups of a dozen or a little bit more um in georgia it was an eight-day itinerary we just also did the um, a few in Mexico City, which are more like a four and a half day itinerary. But these are still culinary driven or culinary focused culinary explorations, let's say, of in the case of Georgia, of of Georgia in the time of the wine harvest in Mexico City. The idea was to do a culinary exploration of the different layers of Mexico City history. So it's a nice opportunity for us to kind of expand beyond doing just the day, the day walks and to go a little bit deeper and broader and cover a theme over several days versus packing everything into one day in a particular neighborhood. So the trip in Georgia beyond Tbilisi also went to some of the wine regions in the country and and some other some other places, um, but always with a with a very strong culinary focus, really, again, using the culinary lens to 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 look at what's happening in the country or in the case of Mexico City, what's happening in the city. So speaking of expansion, um, mm-hmm. that seems like an expansion that you're doing right now, but is there any, what comes next? Are you looking for more partnerships? Are you looking for new cities to do walks in? I mean, we're always looking at other cities that might be interesting. If we had our way, you know, we'd love to cover the entire world, um, or at least the cities that deserve this kind of treatment or really justify this kind of treatment. But, you know, we're looking at cities that again, have, like I said before, have this bigger story to tell, but that the food helps to tell that story. And of course, places with with a kind of very strong and interesting food culture. We're kind of, yeah, always thinking about, well, what would be the next interesting place to cover and what would make sense and, 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 and what would be a fun place to, to work in as well. I suppose that process has some travel in it for you. Some travel, yeah. Right now, we're really focused on deepening the work that we do in the cities that we're in right now and and also adding within the cities that we work in, we're always trying to add new routes, new walks. The, The expansion happens also, you know, not just in terms of adding new cities, but also looking within cities themselves. And sometimes things change. I mean, for example, in in Barcelona, uh, one of the areas that we were doing a walk in just became too crowded, you know, and too tourist, too, you know, I mean, just overrun with tourists, basically. I mean, let's, that's, I guess, the way to put it. We really decided to to stop doing that particular walk there and and added a new a new walk in a different neighborhood that that is one where is not far from the center but is is kind of having an interesting revival um it used to be an industrial neighborhood it's called sans and it used to be an industrial neighborhood and then a lot of the factories shut down and the locals have taken over some of these 
really massive factory complexes and turned them into community centers uh, with different activities and businesses, some of them culinary, like microbreweries or uh, cheese cheese maker and other you know, little restaurants. And then chefs have also discovered this area because rents have become too, too expensive in the center. So young chefs are opening up little places in this neighborhood. So it's an interesting area to uh, explore some of the issues that we're looking at in Barcelona. So, you know, sometimes... Yeah, the expansion happens actually in a place that we're already in and just kind of looking for, well, what's an interesting new neighborhood? On the editorial side, what we did this past year is we kind of looked at, okay, what are the neighborhoods to explore? Really trying to find, you know, what are the interesting neighborhoods in each city that we work in, places that really tell that good story and and are places that, that, that really deserve some more attention and could use could use some love from from people visiting. Well, you're doing some really incredible work. Where can our listeners get involved, you know, take your walks, where can they find you? Well, we're at culinarybackstreets.com is probably, you know, the first stop. And, you know, they can find us on Facebook, Culinary Backstreets, Instagram, same. But really, you know, their first stop is come check out the website. They can, you know, if they're planning a trip to one of the cities that we're in, they can they can check out our online material. They can also find descriptions of all our walks there. If they go to the app store um, they have an iPhone, then they can also download our app if they're visiting one of the cities that we're in. And we, if they go to Amazon, they can find our books for Barcelona, Athens, and Istanbul. Just, uh, I guess you could just put Culinary Backstreets as your search on Amazon and you can find some of the books. So we've, you know, we've got all kinds of ways that we're, we're uh, available for folks. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the culinary citizen today before you leave your podcast listening platform please give us a review we'd love to hear what you think you can also reach us at culinarycitizen.com otherwise until next time